Thank you for being here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we certainly appreciate you and the fact that you're here. And for the regulars, we uh, appreciate you and uh, that you're here as well. So thank you so much. And I want to encourage you to invite your friends. Invite your neighbors. Invite your family members. If you believe, if you feel that if you're getting something out of these services, I pray that you would believe that somebody else could get something out of them as well. And I hope that you feel it's worth inviting them too. So please... Let's do what we can to uh, invite people and, exp- and, and, and let them experience the love of Jesus as you have been in these services, I pray. Because, quite honestly, if you're not experiencing the love of Jesus in this church, then we should either change the format or change the pastor or change the church or do something. Because if we're not doing something to change lives, then we're, not, we're missing the mark, right? So if we are changing lives, then let's get together and do what we can to invite others come in that need a life changing Uh, we all need a life changing and i pray that we would see that so this morning i want to finally i believe finish up talking about the series that we started on priorities and uh, today i i want to end this series by talking about the benefits of the priorities and and i've seen three p's that we're going to talk about three P's of godly priorities. But first, I want to just share with you the reason that I've spoken so many times and I seem to appear to repeat myself is for this reason. Statistics say that we retain 10% of what we see. 10% of what we see. 30 to 40% of what we see and what we hear. All right? 30 to 40% of what we see and hear, and 90%, listen, 90% of what we see, hear, and the big word is do. So we come to church, we hear a message, you retain about 10%. If you read something, if you read along with your Bible, if you read the passages along, if you fill out the follow along and a little fill out the, the little handout sheet we give then you might retain 30 to 40 percent but if you actually go to the work of putting into practice what you've seen and heard through the week then you have a 90 percent retention rate big difference isn't it there's also a rule of sevens and the rule of seven says this in the business world that a prospect needs to see or hear your message at least seven times before they take action and buy from you Seven times. The truth of the rule of seven is that you can't just engage in a marketing activity and then be done. Marketing must be on an ongoing process in order for it to be successful. Now, this isn't a marketing rule, but in a church rule, I think it can be similar. Because what this means is that a pastor gets up and he gives a message on a particular Sunday... And he may feel like he's doing his job because he is trying to um, give the message of God's word. So he gives a good message. In the congregation, his customer, (laughs) he's trying to get them to buy it. He's trying to get them to buy into the message that he's given, right? And so often the message is only given once. And then the pastor goes on to give another message the next week. And he's he's assuming or he's, uh, he's... hoping that the congregation has bought along with the message from that one week that he gave once, and the reality is they're only hearing it and they're only retaining 10% of it. <laughs> so he's 
done running ahead with his message series, going on what he's doing, because he's engaged all week learning and rehearsing and studying, and, and, and he's going through it multiple times, probably more than seven times, but in reality, the customer, the congregation, is only hearing it one time. And therefore, they're not getting as much as what he's hoping they're going to get. And that's why we need to go back and sometimes repeat things. Does that make sense? Sometimes we need to go back and re-say some things. That's kind of why Wednesday night is a big night for us because it's a wait what Wednesday night. And so we're going back and repeating, rehearsing, rehashing, discussing some of the things that were said on Sunday morning. And for those that have been there on Wednesday nights, from what I hear, it's been good. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because you might not raise your hands now and you might blow my whole pitch. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. It's been seriously really good. That's said from Jackie. So I, w- I would encourage you to come in because if you think you hear it once on Sunday morning and think it's enough, I know it sounds good and I know that's what we're used to doing, but if you're not getting something through the week, can I tell you, can I suggest to you that you're not getting enough? We eat multiple times a week. We eat physically multiple times a day. We're hungry. And sometimes I wonder if spiritually if we're hungry because we seem to be able to exist on a simple diet of eating one time a week or at least publicly one time a week. So I just encourage you. I, I just think it's important that we, that we see that it takes time and it takes repeating ourselves. And the Bible is, in fact, if you, know what, if you read Bible, the message of the gospel is said over and over and over in multiple ways in the Bible, but the message is always the same. So the Bible repeats itself. The writers repeat themselves. They understand. God, can I tell you that God understands the rule of seven? <laughs> he understands what it is to market something? Yeah. So that's why I spend as much time as I do kind of rehashing and, and repeating some things. And I'm praying that you're beginning to practice what you're hearing, that as you put it into practice, that it does mean something different for you. And I, I really believe that the messages we've been speaking over priorities and taking uh, our mind and our, and our thoughts obedient and making them obedient to Christ, taking them captive and making them obedient to Christ, I really hope that as you've been doing that, your life is changing. Mine is. It's helping me significantly, and I hope it's helping you. So this morning, I want to refer, I want to go back to as we talk about the three Ps. I want to go back and talk about the text that we sp- we spoke with last week, and it's in, given in Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses three through five. We're talking about warfare. We're talking about taking our thoughts captive. It says in Second Corinthians chapter ten, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, I like what the New Living Translation says it this way. I like to read different translations because I think that it just gives a different insight sometimes. And it says it this way. It says, we are, we're, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning 
Think, li listen to that. We knock down the strongholds of human reasoning to destroy false arguments. And let me stop there for a second. Do you ever find yourself struggling with your reasoning, wondering where it came from? Where did you get that reasoning to begin with? Why do you think it's right? If, it's, if you haven't got it out of God's word, word, then where have you gotten it? And can I say that that gives us sometimes false arguments? And sometimes we need to know that those need to be broken down in our lives and changed? Just because I have a perception or a, uh, a, a feeling towards something doesn't necessarily mean it's correct unless I've gone to God's word and verified it. So it says in verse 5 that we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God and we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That's what I need to be doing to myself. I need to capture my rebellious thoughts because I have them. And if you're like me, you probably have a few too every once in a while. You have thoughts that come in and say, wow, where did that come from and why am I thinking that? And boy, I need to take that captive and I need to destroy that because that has given me a bad feeling. It's putting me on a bad path and I need to stop that. That's what we do. Paul uses the power of godly weapons against the power of Satan's weapons that he uses relentlessly to attack us with. And it's more than just knowing about these weapons as we've been discussing over the past weeks, but we need to start applying God's truth to them. And we need to then actually begin doing them and letting the benefits of them come to our lives. You only get benefits if you do something. Jim was talking about it, that was talking about the Keurig's weekend. If a man is going to build a house... He has got a lot of work to do to build the house. If he's going to get the benefit of a roof, then he's got to put the work in of building the walls to put the roof on first, right? You can't just say, I'm going to build a house and then sit down and watch it build itself. No, it, it, somebody's got to build the house. Somebody's got to put the work in here. And that's what I'm talking about. We need to put the work in to taking our thoughts captive, to having godly priorities, and then when we do that, the result is the blessing. And the blessing is what we're going to talk about in the form of three Ps. What are these three Ps? The three Ps of godly priorities. Number one are peace. Number two, patience and or slash perseverance. And number three, prosperity. And I want to take the next few minutes to talk about each one of these. But like everything else in life, we do things because we want a certain outcome. If I don't have a direction, if I don't have a goal, then, for example, if I was saying that I want to go to Traverse City and I get in my car, I have to have that goal in my mind that I'm going to go to Traverse City before it makes sense, before I turn the engine on. I mean, if I, if I got in my car and turned the engine on and said, well, I have no idea where I'm going, What's the point? Sit there and let my engine idle. But no, I have a goal. So same thing in our Christian life. We have to have an end result that we want, and then we have to start working to achieve the end result. And in that context, when we have godly priorities and ask ourselves, what are we expecting to get 
out of these, it gives us a direction and a purpose. And certainly we have to keep in mind that we live by faith, right? We live by faith in God, and our salvation does not come from our works, but our salvation comes through the grace of Jesus Christ, right? That the shed blood of Jesus is our, is our salvation, and it's only by his blood are we saved. But that doesn't stop us from having the responsibility to work through our salvation. Not working for our salvation, but working as a result of our salvation. And there are many good works that we do as a result of the fact that I'm saved. Not working to get saved, but because I'm saved, I now have good works to do. And I must keep that correct order of context or priorities in place. I don't work to get get saved, but I work as a result of being saved. And that is why we need to understand godly priorities. That is why we need to understand how important it is to live and apply them as we're trained to and as we're taught to. And when we do that, then we have great benefits. And the benefits are, number one, is peace. Peace. Now, peace is something that everybody seeks. There is no one that I know of if they're honest with themselves, that seeks turmoil and stress. We live in it sometimes, but then we're not seeking it. (laughs) I mean, it comes to our life without having to be sought. Turmoil and stress and problems and all kinds of discord, they come into life without ever being sought. Everyone, on the other hand, is seeking peace. The problem is that most people have no idea where to look for peace. The problem is that they're looking, they're looking for peace in all the wrong places. I think there's a song about that, right? Or is that love? Looking for love in all the wrong places, right? I think we know it. Somebody want to sing it? No? Okay. I could, but I won't. <laughs> I'll stick to speaking. But we all, try, we all are seeking peace, and the problem, the world doesn't know where to look. And so they're looking in the wrong places because they're seeking for something. There is something missing in their life. There is a big hole in their life that you're trying to fill up with something. And God's saying, I've got the answer if you'll only look to me, if you'll only ask me. And I think that many times we, we struggle, we can find peace, and, and we find a peace in our lives sometimes that doesn't last because the peace that God gives lasts. We can get peace on our own too, and we can find elements of peace. We can find pieces and bits and pieces of it, and, and sometimes peace comes through money. Sometimes it comes through fame and success. And we, we struggle, we plan our financial life, and we work hard and to get our budget in order. Uh, and we know that sometimes peace comes through health. Man, as long as, as long as we're healthy, we think we can have peace. But as soon as the health goes, what happens to the peace, right? So we go in great detail and put a lot of effort to eat right and to exercise right. Sometimes peace comes when our family's in order. And so we put all kinds of rules and regulations with our children, trying to keep them in order and trying to, trying to lead them and, 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 and teach them correctly. And, and there and, and are so many other areas that we try to search for peace. They all give an element of it but they all fall short of a peace that's long-lasting because it's self-centered on us. It's what I can do to get peace. It's what I can do on my own to get peace. And I will say that none of those things that I've just described are bad in themselves. There's nothing wrong with having a financial plan. 
There's nothing wrong with working hard in your job and making money. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with eating a good diet and staying healthy. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things. There's nothing wrong with protecting our family relationships and putting proper boundaries in our life so that we protect ourselves from people that would be a bad influence around us. There's nothing wrong with those elements of, of our effort to find peace. There's nothing wrong with them, but when I think that they're going to give me a long-lasting peace, that's the way the world does it. God, on the other hand, gives us a peace that lasts, a peace that is beyond our understanding, and God gives us a sense of peace that, when, so when we talk about peace, we're talking about a supernatural peace. Right? We're talking about something that the world can't give us. No matter where the battle is, no matter what's happening, God can give me a peace that goes beyond our understanding. The Paul talks about it as he writes to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. You see how they repeat themselves? <laughs> you see how important it is? You've got to repeat yourself. Sometimes you've got to tell yourself twice to rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the key point. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's repeat that. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. What does that mean? It means I can have peace when I don't understand where it comes from. I can have peace in the midst of turmoil. I can have peace in the midst of a health crisis. I can have peace in the midst of a financial crisis. Peace comes to me, and I don't know where it comes from. That's a supernatural peace, folks. That's the peace I'm talking about that we have access to as we live with godly priorities. That peace doesn't come unless we put the right effort into it first. That peace doesn't come just because we're good people. The peace comes because I've trusted Jesus, and I've put my faith in him and him alone, and now I take my thoughts captive, and I do the things that I'm supposed to do. I do the things that I'm instructed to do by his word, and that brings peace that trans all understanding. And then he goes on in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, here's the 90% point, put it into practice. You want to retain it? Put it into practice. And then here's the result. And the God of peace will be with you. Talk about a marketing plan. Talk about the writer understanding the rule of seven. Talk about the writer knowing how to get people to retain. You teach it. You let them read it. And then you, ex and then you ask them to exercise it. Put it into practice. And all of a sudden, you'll get the benefit. You'll get the benefit of peace. Amen? That's awesome. So God's peace will supernaturally guard our hearts and our minds. You know, last week we talked about how we can pray without ceasing. Do you remember that? How do we do that? How do we pray without ceasing? 
Well, we start it by taking every thought captive. When I can really get myself to a point where I get a thought that comes into my mind, and the first thing I do is I analyze it. Before I speak about it, before I dwell on it, before I put it into my spirit and say, yep, that's a good thought, I need to analyze it and say, where did that thought come from? Is it a godly thought or is it a worldly thought? And that's what I'm talking about, about taking our thoughts captive. We take them captive and we look at it and we analyze it and we say, God, is this from you? If this is from you, then embellish it. Let me act it out. Let me act on it. Let me put flesh and meat to this bone of this thought that you've given me. If it's not of you, then help me reject it and help me to get it out of my life. You know what that's doing? That's helping us pray without ceasing. Because I have thoughts that come, to, come into my life all the time, unceasingly, right? My mind is active all the time. Even when I'm dreaming, even when I'm sleeping, my mind is active. So I can ask the Lord to give me, to take my dreams captive. Lord, when I go to bed tonight, help my dreams to be productive. Help my dreams, protect my dream life. So that my thoughts are constantly being guarded and checked. And when I do that, I'm actually praying without ceasing. So we can live out God's word by just doing the simple things, by just taking our thoughts captive. Amen? So important that we start to do that, that we, that we continue to do that. So peace comes. Peace comes when we ask God to give us the right things to think about. In verse 8, we just read that. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. So rather than just saying, no, I'm not going to think about the bad things, that's a good step, that's the first step, then we need to say, okay, Lord, give me the good things to think about. I have to think about something. <laughs> my mind has to be not void. And my dad would say an idle mind is the devil's workshop, and so is an empty mind. An empty mind is a devil's workshop. So let's keep our mind full of the good things of God. Let's ask him to give us the good thoughts to think about. And then he says, put it into practice. Put what I'm thinking about into practice. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And then the God of peace will be with you. As I practice thinking about the thoughts, and as I practice taking them captive, uh, it, it gives me an opportunity to pray subconsciously. Just like I breathe subconsciously. You don't think about breathing. When was the last time you thought about taking a breath? We breathe normally without thinking about it. And when we can get our life into taking our thoughts captive without thinking about it, we are giving the Lord an opportunity to bring all kinds of benefits into our life. But when I don't do that, then how, why should I expect him to give me a benefit? If I'm not willing to go that step and take those thoughts captive, then why should I expect him to give me a benefit of peace? Really? Doesn't that make sense? Yes. I think it does. I'm agreeing with myself. I'm saying amen. Amen, brother. Preach it. <laughs> Amen. So the next thing that he gives is that God gives us that peace that the world cannot give, and then he gives us 
a word that we don't like, and that's patience. Patience and perseverance that we would persevere to the end. What's a typical reaction that most people have when they find themselves in a hard situation? Either one that is totally out of their control or one that maybe they've caused or is a result of some consequences of some bad actions that they've already done. Right? Sometimes, the, sometimes the problems that we have are because we've asked for them. <laughs> Not knowingly, but because we did a stupid thing, we're going to get a stupid reaction. Right? But what's the typical reaction that most people have when they find themselves in a hard situation? I will say they will have one of two reactions. Number one, they will impatiently want the situation to get over and be done with. They will typically be impatient about it and say, just get this thing done. Just get it over. Or they find themselves in a wor- even a worse situation. They'll find themselves wanting to give up and wanting to quit. They'll want to quit in their marriage. They'll want to quit in their relationship. They'll want to quit their job. Or even more seriously, they'll want to quit their life. People have gone to that, that extreme of even suicide. So what do we do here? Well, see, we're praying and asking God to deliver us from the situation. And God is saying, listen, what God says. Most of the time, when we're saying, God, get me out of the problem, what he's saying is something like this. He's saying, in due time, son, in due time, I've got a plan. And I will deliver you when I'm ready to. But I have something for you to learn in the process. I have something for you to glean out of this situation. So rather than be impatient and try to rush through it or try to just or give up on it, let me just give you encouragement, my son, because I love you. I have a plan for you. And I'm going to use this, even if it's hard, to accomplish the plan that I want in your life. And if I could hear God's voice telling me that, that'll give me peace in the midst of the battle. And I'm here to show us today that God would rather give us peace and give us patience because that's what he has to offer and that he is the giver of peace and he is the giver of patience. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, Peter says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, that some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The New Life Version says it this way. It says, verse 9, this, The Lord is not slow about keeping his promise, as some people think. He is waiting for you. Patience, he is waiting for you. The Lord does not want any person to be punished forever. He wants all people to be sorry for their sins and turn from them. Isn't that awesome to think that God is waiting, is patiently waiting for you and I and for every man in this world to make a decision for Christ? That's what he wants. He doesn't want to send anybody to hell. In fact, he doesn't send anybody to hell. It's their choice because he's waiting for them to make a correction. He's waiting for them to say, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. That's what he's waiting for. And when you say that, He forgives. Now your destination is not in hell. Now your destination is in heaven. It's an amazing change. God does not panic. God does not panic when things seem to get out of control. I love that about God. I don't see him panicking because 
I have a financial issue. I don't see him panicking because I've got a problem. He doesn't let time get the best of him like time gets the best of us. We get anxious when we're struggling with life, when we have health issues or financial issues or relational crises in our life. We get anxious about them. But yet God is patiently watching over us, and he's patiently watching us as we are faithful in placing our priorities in him. He will give us the best outcome for our life, even when we can't even imagine anything good could could come out of that situation. What good can come out of my sickness? What good can, can, could come out of the fact that, you know, Pine River Elog didn't make it 10 years ago? You know, what good can come out of that? Well, I don't know, but God can figure it out. If you let him, he's got a plan. And the bigger part of life is, the bigger part, the bigger picture in life is that, is that we have relationship with Jesus, not just to be successful in our own right. The bigger part of life is relationship. He says he wants all people to be sorry for their sins. And that means that God's patience is all about eternal life for us. That's what he wants. Even if the moments of this life may be, we may be tested and tried, it's his plan to see us face to face. It's his plan to spend eternity with us. That's his plan. He loves you so much that he doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to spend time with him now so that he can have eternity with us later. And how much better is it going to be when I can see Jesus face to face? Think about that. Think about that. You can walk up at any given time in eternity and see Jesus face to face. Isn't that going to be awesome? So what do we need to do to get there? We need to seek his face today. We need to do the things today that would give us that desired response. So how do we get there when things are really pressing us here? This is a prayer that I pray a lot. We prayed it in this church. Paul prayed it for the Colossians. He says, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Here are the big words. For all endurance and patience with joy. That we would have endurance and patience with joy. Key words here. We need to, we need to know that God is giving us the power to be patient. Mm. so important that I need to know that God has given me the power to be patient and to endure to the end. Don't give up. Don't quit. Stay the course until the end. And if you stay the course until the end, even though it's hard right now, even though we're struggling in finances or even like a church situation, and, you know, churches struggle sometimes, but be patient. Endure to the end. I have choices to make. I can choose to be impatient and overly anxious. That's a choice I have. Or I can choose to give up and quit, right? We have those choices. But if I do either of those choices that I've just said, are we helping ourselves? Are you helping yourselves with impatience? Does anxiety help you? 
Does your desire to give up help you? No, probably not. So my strongest encouragement to myself and to you is that we take the third approach. And the third approach is that we choose to read God's Word, that we trust God's Word, and that we ask for patience. And we say, God, just let me get through to the end. The reality is, you're going to get to the end. Life keeps moving. Time keeps moving on. The choice that I have in my problem is, am I going to get to the end with the desired outcome that I want? Time's going to end, folks. You're going to get through this. You're going to get through the problem, whatever it is. But do you want to get through the problem being the victor or being the victim? You can be the victor if you go to God. You can be the victor no matter if God seems to have given you the short straw. You can, get, you can either be angry at God and say, God, why did you do this to me? Or you can look at it and say, God, I know you, ha- I know you have a plan in this, and I'm, I'm choosing now, I'm choosing now to obey you. I'm choosing now to accept you. I'm choosing now to have you accomplish your plan in my life because when I get through this, I want the desired outcome of peace and patience and prosperity. I want that. So you can either have eventual victory in the end because I've trusted God or I can suffer an even worse fate. And I will say this at the risk of being sounding callous that there is nothing so bad that we can go through life today and experience that is worse than going to hell. There's nothing so bad in this life that would even consider, even be comparable to a second in hell. So if you think that we're going to get out of the mess by doing something worse because we're angry at God, so therefore we're going to show God, we're going to spit in his face, like that's going to really help us. Do you know what that's doing? It's just damning you. It's putting you in a, in a, in a worse spot. It's like jumping, the old proverbial saying that you jump from the frying pan into the fire, literally. <laughs> you think it's hot here? <laughs> just Wait. Right? So why would we do that? So rather we need to understand that God's word is full of encouragement for us, for us that we would choose to persevere and be faithful no matter what. To 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's Paul talking to Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, preach the word. Persevere in it. And then James chapter 1, 12th verse. He said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. See, God is not saying, I'm going to get you out of the trial. He's saying, no, for those that persevere through the trial, I'll be with you through the trial. And when you persevere through it, I will give you a crown of life. That's the desired outcome that I want. And then the writer of Hebrews gives us a very encouraging message. And this is just after he's talking about all the hardship and suffering, the persecution that people have gone through that were faithful for living for Christ. The writer says, so do not throw away your confidence. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39. Do not throw away your confidence. It, it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Again, knowing what you want. Verse 37, for just in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. 
And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. That's the result that we get when we have patience and we have perseverance. And then finally, the third P is prosperity. Now, prosperity, let me just say this at the very beginning here, straightforwardly so we don't get confused. Prosperity here that God is talking about is totally different than the prosperity system that the world offers. All right, so I just want you to know that when God uses the word prosperity, it's not the way we measure it. We often measure God's prosperity in a wrong way, and then we don't understand what God's talking about when he says God will prosper those because we don't understand it. God's prosperity system are promises to prosper those who are being obedient to him, and it's totally different. God's prosperity system is eternal. It's eternal. God doesn't give us something and then take, us, take it away from us just when we're starting to enjoy it. <laughs> no, God's prosperity system, when I'm understanding it properly, it's an eternal prosperity, whereas the world's prosperity at best is temporary and fleeting because it can be lost in a moment. Man, I can be high in the hog right now and I can have all kinds of money and I can have all kinds of wealth and in a second, the stock market goes bad, I make a poor investment, I lose my job, somebody dies, there's a divorce, whatever happens, and all of a sudden, what I was banking on, what I was putting my hope in, that financial success that I had can be gone in a heartbeat. And then where am I at? That's the prosperity that the world offers. Not only is it temporary, but it's fleeting because you can't even count on it because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And there's a host of other reasons that I would say that the world prosperity system is not the one that will give us peace. Then that doesn't mean that we have to be poor, but that means we have to make sure that we understand where our, what our source is. Remember, we're talking about the benefits of living a godly life according to godly priorities. Right? And we're beginning by taking our thoughts captive. And we're doing this by inviting God into our life. Like we talked last week, until we invite God into our life, he doesn't, have the, he doesn't have the authority to come in and take our help us because we're not inviting him. So we have to invite him in. And then when we do that, we're giving him the authority to be the judge of our thoughts and to help us battle the enemy so that we will be victorious at the end of our life. That's why we're talking about this. Last week we talked about in Psalms chapter 1. Talked about how the psalmist began the whole book of the Psalms talking about how we measure our spiritual life and our relationship with Jesus by his perspective and not our, not our materialistic mindset. He says in Psalms 1, this is the Living Bible translation, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow evil men's advice, who do not hang around with sinners, who do not scoff at the things of God, but they delight in doing everything God wants them to do. Day and night are always meditating on his laws and thinking about ways to follow him more closely. Man, that is a godly man. They are like trees along a riverbank bearing luscious fruit each season without fail. Their leaves will, shall never wither and all they do shall prosper. Now, when I read that, does that mean that all Christians will always be rich and they will never fail and they will never fall? Because if that's the case, 
it hasn't worked for me very well. <laughs> How about for you? <laughs> I mean, when I look at that, I think, man, God, what are you talking about? That and all they do shall prosper. I read that. I've, sometimes I, even, I don't even like to say it because I'm thinking, God, how, I'm not prospering right now. I'm struggling right now. So how can you tell me that? But we have to understand what it means to, by God's prospering. God's prospering system is not what I can see, touch, feel, and taste. God's prosper says, I am going to be with you, and I'm going to be with you forever. We, mean, we need to understand that. Let's read on. It says, for, but for sinners, verse 4, but for sinners, what a different story. They blow away like chaff before the wind. They are not safe on judgment day. They shall not stand among the godly. For the Lord watches over all the plans and paths of godly men, but the paths of the godless lead to doom. Notice that the psalmist recognizes that sinners, worldly people, they may have a time of prosperity. It may be there for a period of time, but, but it blows away like the chaff in the wind. The chaff in the wind means that when, they're, when they were in the process of, of, of harvesting wheat, that they would beat the wheat on the ground or beat it on a, on a pedestal, and then they would blow, throw it up in the air, and as they threw it up in the air, the chaff or the, the wasted product would blow away with the wind, but the wheat, the seeds are heavier. They would fall. They would capture the seeds. But the weight of the wind would blow away the chaff. And that's what worldly possessions are. That's what worldly prosperity is. It's chaff in the wind. And as God blows over the life of a person, he'll blow the chaff, he'll blow the worldly prosperity, he'll blow that away and let the seed of eternal life fall to be harvested. That's what he's talking about. So prosperity then says that I then, because I'm a godly man, and he says that the Lord watches over all the plans of a, of a righteous man. For the Lord watches over all the plans. And I will take that as prosperity for me. I will take that for, for prosperity. I will say, Lord, all I want to know is that you're watching over my life. Now, I can have a lot of bad things going on in my life. I could be struggling. But when I know that God's watching over me, that gives me peace. That gives me the ability to, to be patient. That gives me the ability to persevere. That's knowing that I will have God's prosperity because prosperity is the way God determines it. And when I know he's watching my plans and when I know he's watching my life, then the impatience of life kind of fades away because I'm looking at it and say, God, that's the prosperity that I want. God's promises never fade away. Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. Do not start for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But start for your treasures where in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? Jackie, would you come and we'll wrap this up. Where's your heart this morning? I wish, man, as I was studying this this week, I was really saying, God, help me to really grasp what I'm talking about here. Man, if I could really grasp this message, if I could really understand what this means, that I could have your peace and I could have your patience and I could have your perseverance, then I could really enjoy life. Think about it, folks. If I could grasp this message and if I could make it really real that I'm not chasing after the temporary pleasures of life and that even includes health that even includes wealth yes those are nice and I appreciate those and I don't want bad things to happen 
But when I have bad things to happen, if I could really say, God, come in and take my thoughts. Show me your plans in this. And know that his bigger picture is always for my benefit, always for your benefit. If I could grasp that, regardless of my circumstances, I'm on the path to peace. And I'm on the path to godly perseverance. And I'm on the path to godly prosperity. Paul wraps it up in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, For I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have little or much. I know how to live on almost nothing or everything. I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want. For I can do everything God asks me to do with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. That's our response. God, help me to be content with the situation I'm in right now. That doesn't mean I want to accept it as being normal. No, I want to continue to get better. I want to get healthy. I want to get healed. I want to have wealth. I want to have prosperity. I want that. But God, in the middle of it, where I'm at right now, give me contentedness. Give me peace. Give me a sense of purpose that I don't, that I don't give up and that I don't give in to the enemy's temptations. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. God, and if I could do anything, if I could do anything, I would just implant that thought into every person's heart and mind that we could really grasp your love for us and how much you care for us and how much you want to do good for us. That it's just a matter of me inviting you in to say, come in and dwell within me. Give me contentedness. Give me peace. Give me health in that area of my soul. Give me patience. Take away that anxiousness that just gives stress and strife and raises my blood pressure and does all kinds of other bad things to me physically. I want your peace. I want your contentedness in my spirit today. And God, I want your prosperity. And I believe that you are going to make me prosperous in this life and the next that will last forever because what you do is eternal. And that's what I want. This morning, as your eyes are closed and as you are dwelling on these thoughts, I, I just want to just encourage you to, to, to press in here and let this be real in your life like it's never been real before. I know some of you are struggling with some very hard things. And I am praying God's blessing on you. And I'm praying God's, God's patience with you and his purpose over your life. Invite him in. Ask him to forgive you for the times that you've been impatient. For the times that you haven't trusted him. We've all failed in those areas. That's okay. That's okay. God doesn't hold that against you when you say, forgive me. He wants you to let go and let God in. Amen.
deep, it's more than I can stand. I melt in your peace, it's overwhelming. The more I seek you, the more I find you. Father, I thank you for that promise. I thank you, Lord, that you encourage us to seek you in all times of life, in all areas, in all manner. And the more that I seek you, the more I find you, the more that I love you. What a perfect way to end this series. What a perfect way to end this, to say, God, I want the, I want the blessings. I want all that you have for me, and I'm willing to give all that I, I have of me to get that. Lord, that's a great trade. And so, God, I just pray for this people today. I pray for this church. And I pray, Father, that we would walk this out and exercise this today and make it a part of our life. I pray pray blessings on each person here today, on each situation, on each health situation, on each financial situation or whatever struggle. I pray blessing on it today as we give it to you. And we surrender it to you and we ask you to be Lord of it all. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, this if you need prayer, I would love to pray for you. I would love that others would as well. So don't think you're in this alone. Don't think that you're walking this life alone, this journey. No, we're to walk it together. So we use each other. We walk together. We journey together. We pray together. So as you go to your house, as you go to your homes this, this day, be blessed in that, but know that we're here. We're family. We're, we're here for you. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Amen. Have a great day. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe, feel your heart beat. This love is so deep, it's more than I can stand. I'm melting your peace, it's over.